0: Hello, and welcome to Legally Bond, a podcast presented by the law firm Bond, Shannon & King. I'm your host, Kim Wolf price Today's episode is all about data privacy, as it is a lead up to World Data Privacy Day, which is January 28th. Our guest on today's episode, we're welcoming back Shannon Knapp, an associate in the business department who practices primarily and bonds data privacy in cybersecurity practice. Welcome back to the podcast, Shannon. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yes. Happy almost Data Privacy Day. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) I know it is a holiday for all of you, that practice group.
1: (laughs) I would say it would be a day off, but it's on a Saturday this year.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, so this year you will be able to celebrate it as a holiday. It really is. So I know there is a lot we can discuss about data privacy from risk mitigation to breaches, new laws, and many other things. But I'm hoping today maybe we can talk a little bit, like, how did we get here? The history of this, how did this develop as a practice from a legal perspective, and then talk about maybe our practice group here at Bond and what you're doing to provide information and insights to uh, clients and others as we come closer to World Data Privacy Day. Does that make sense? Yeah, sounds great. All right. So Data Privacy Day. I guess we have to give everybody a little bit of context. So I just said it, but will you remind everyone when um, World Data Privacy Day is?
1: Yes, it is January 28th and it is every single year. So it is a static holiday. So it's not like the
0: the second Monday of you know the last Monday of January or anything like that. It's always the 28th.
1: Always the 28th. And so what does that day sort of commemorate? Why do we have World Data Privacy Day? So there is a bit of an interesting history behind this, actually. So it's actually known as Data Protection Day in Europe. So similar, but slightly different name. And it's celebrated in the US, Canada, Israel and 27 other countries. So it's pretty global at this point, which is really exciting. And it came about in 2007 in Europe, and it was an initiative to set aside one day to observe data privacy after polling showed that European citizens did not fully understand their data protection rights. So originally in Europe, it was used basically as an awareness tool to help citizens realize their data privacy importance and their rights around it. And they picked the 28th because it's a significant date in data privacy history as it marks the day the Council of Europe opened the convention For the protection of individuals which is known as convention 108 in 1981 and this is one of the first kind of consumer privacy laws although in today's terms it wouldn't be the strictest privacy law by any means but this is kind of the foundation that started some of these global consumer privacy laws that we're seeing now and so that was the day it was signed and so january 20th also commemorates that and then in the us the house of representatives and senate passed data privacy day in 2009 so we followed suit a couple of years later That's interesting because, you know, of course, from our
0: perspective at a law firm, we think of it as like sort of a business thing. But it's interesting that it was actually founded and came about for individuals to learn more about their rights.
1: Yeah, Uh, absolutely. And when the House and Senate passed it in 2009, they wanted to use it as a way for like state and local governments to promote data privacy for privacy professionals like you're talking about to talk about it in the business context, but also the individual context. But they also uh, had a focus on teens in high schools in 2009 when it originally came out, which is interesting. interesting, and also individuals, as we're discussing. So there's a bit of a global focus in terms of global privacy, but also just who it affects in general.
0: Yeah, and it's coming at the beginning of the year, it also seems like you know, everyone's making their New Year's resolutions and getting things in order for the year ahead. Maybe it's a good time for businesses and individuals to really take an inventory of their data privacy, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Good kickoff to the year, make sure uh, all of your stuff is safe. So I guess we should back up just a little bit. I know we've talked about it before on the podcast, but if you could just give us a broad definition of data privacy and cybersecurity, and then sort of talk about what it means at sort of a very high level.
1: Sure. So data privacy and cybersecurity are pretty interrelated concepts, but they are distinct in their own way as well. So data privacy is concept of keeping your data private and protected and using it for its intended purpose only. So we think of this a lot on like the individualized scale of like individual consumer information and how businesses are using it. And that's where we see like general data protection regulation or the California Consumer Privacy Act come into play because it's regulating both the protection of the data as well as how it's used and only using it for the limited purpose as to why you collected it. This became a big focus after some of the big data scandals that have been going on in the last couple of years or so, such as like Facebook Analytica and things like that, where big organizations were using data beyond what they told consumers they were collecting it for. Whereas cybersecurity has more to do with protecting data through appropriate administrative, technical, and physical safeguards. And cybersecurity is important to protect individual data, but it's also important to protect like proprietary information, intellectual property, things beyond like consumer information. So it's a bit of a broader concept and has a lot more to do with the actual protections you're putting in place.
0: That makes sense. So another big issue in this whole area, and thanks for giving us that that general overview. A big issue in this area is how quickly it's developing on the legal side, right? Like it's it's started really Europe and then China and U.S. different states. So it's just evolving as quickly as data is being produced, it seems like, at different oh, points so in time. <laughs> so mm-hmm. there are international laws in the U.S. It's currently state by state, which is kind of confusing. So can you give us a little bit of maybe a data privacy laws history lesson or, or tell us kind of where we are? right
1: now? Yeah, sure. So as I mentioned before, we had the Convention 108, which is kind of one of the big starts in Europe. And then in the United States, obviously, we can go back pretty far in terms of the development of some privacy principles, like James Madison was a big proponent of uh, privacy and things like that. But from an actual law standpoint, although not really related to my practice, one of the big first privacy laws is the Fourth Amendment. And then from there, you go into more industry-specific laws. And those really started popping up from like 1970s through 90s. So then you have like HIPAA, which is your health information privacy, which is education privacy, COPA, which is children's privacy. Then you have TCPA, which has to do with like telecommunications and like telemarketing and things like that. And then you also have GLBA, which has to do with like financial information privacy. So that was the first approach, at least in the United States, was taking a very industry-specific approach to privacy and not really having an overarching That's privacy true. law. And then the big first general consumer privacy law was not a United States privacy law. And we've already mentioned it was GDPR. And Europe had its own privacy law prior to that that wasn't as strict as GDPR, but the gold standard, as we call it, is GDPR and was effective in 2018. It was passed a little before that. We so just want 20- everyone
0: what GDPR for?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's the General Data Protection Regulation. Thank you. Yeah. And so that went into effect in 2018 and kind of started, it was like the catalyst of starting a kind of a global wave of privacy because many countries realize this is a big issue and it's kind of using GDPR as a model for their own privacy laws. And so after that, California was the first in the United States to pass their version of GDPR, which was the California Consumer Privacy Act. And it was passed in 2018 and then became effective in 2020. And then it was then amended by a ballot initiative in 2020. And now it's called the California Privacy Rights Act, which just went into effect this year, like two weeks ago. And so that was a big first law in the United States. And now we have other states and countries following suit. As you mentioned, China passed their own privacy law, which has many similar aspects to CCPA and GDPR. And then we have other states that become effective this year as well, including Utah, Virginia, Connecticut, and Colorado, who kind of followed suit.
0: That's a lot for businesses.
1: (laughs) Definitely. And businesses get pulled in a lot easier than they think. They think, oh, like I don't have a brick and mortar store in Utah, so I'm not going to be pulled in. But if you do a lot of business like e-commerce or something like that, it's a lot easier to get pulled into these laws than people think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think certainly on the data privacy side, but in everything, you know, your copyright, your trademark, everything, like it's if you're doing business that touches in these places and the internet does that to pretty much everyone from our higher ed clients to even small you know s- small storefronts doesn't it
1: yeah absolutely it really is one of those laws that affects every type of business and then also kind of incorporates all different types of law from like labor law to business law because you have employee privacy as well so it really kind of touches a lot of different areas of the law
0: yeah it's almost overwhelming but i guess that's because we're trying to get our arms around something as regulators are there. You know, the regulators are trying to get their arms around something huge, which is data, which is really everywhere in so many forms, isn't it?
1: Yeah, for sure. And it's become the most valuable asset essentially at this point in the world is the data you have and how you use it, which is
0: kind of crazy. And like, and you you, did, you mentioned Facebook Meta. Well, it was just Facebook at the time, but using data in a way other than they have told the consumer. I mean, that's another whole kind of huge layer to all of this, right? And that's what what the regulators are trying to get their hands around as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. A lot of the big settlements we're seeing right now still have to do with that type of thing. Data minimization is kind of like the buzzword we use for that and using the data for its intended purpose and only for the purposes you really need it. Otherwise, you need to disclose that you're doing it or get consent, depending on the law, things like that. And so a lot of the big settlements we're seeing still have to do with basically the use of data or if you're not properly protecting it.
0: And part of that is because while the laws are developing now, these types of cases and settlements, they go on for years. So this started several years ago. Yeah, definitely. So it seems like all of this is kind of these laws are developing almost in real time, as the ways data can be used and monetized is developing. Like the laws are trying to catch up with the ways that data is being sold.
1: Yeah, it's very reactionary. Very right. true. And,
0: and then I think a lot of people think of all of this as like a cyber criminal getting in the mix. And that is one piece, but that's not the entire piece of all of this, right?
1: Right. That I would say is more... Talking about the difference between cybersecurity and data privacy, cyber criminals, at least I think of more on the cybersecurity side of things, whereas data privacy really has to do with your rights around your own information and how you want to share it and how you want it to be used more than necessarily the protection. The protection is important and is a very interrelated concept. But the privacy part has almost more to do with your individual rights around your data and how it's being used. Right. And
0: when it needs to be destroyed and when it needs to be given back to you. And it's not just a paper file anymore. It's much more complicated. For sure. So I think that with all this development, and I know you don't actually have a crystal ball, but maybe we should look at what's on the horizon. What are some of the possible new laws that businesses have to comply with? And is there U.S. federal legislation? maybe on the horizon?
1: Yeah. Good question. <laughs> so, some of the laws we know are going to be effective this year. I kind of already mentioned them earlier. So, we have four states that passed laws last year or even the year before that go into effect this year. So, we have Virginia, Connecticut, Colorado, in Utah, did I already say that one? That's four, I think. Yeah. <laughs> those four states, their consumer privacy laws go to, into effect this year. So, without a crystal ball, we know those are going to be affecting businesses. And then, in terms of what else is on the horizon, it's hard to predict, but there's a lot of states that still have consumer privacy laws pending, which may pass. So, we might have a more piecemeal state enforcement that we have been developing. And then in terms of U.S. federal legislation, there was federal legislation that went the furthest that any privacy legislation has gotten in recent history last year, but it stalled in the House because Nancy Pelosi is from California, and they have their own Consumer Privacy Act, as we've talked about, and they've invested a lot of time and money into it and think that their law protects consumers better, so they didn't want it to to be preempted or have the federal law be the only thing regulating consumer privacy. So she didn't bring it to the House floor. However, as most people are aware, there has been a regime change in the House, and now it is no longer run by Nancy Pelosi. So there is a possibility that it could be introduced on the House floor, but that's yet to be determined. But it was; it did have broad bipartisan support overall, so it'll be interesting to see how that develops. As you say this, the current
0: minority leader is from a state that usually is a big player in anything and wants their legislation to be first. And that's New York. But I didn't hear you mention New York in that list. So what's yeah, happening
1: there? That's a good question. Also surprising. New York has had legislation introduced, but it hasn't gotten very far. They've taken somewhat of a almost industry-specific approach as well, or a certain type of data approach, instead oh, of a Broad consumer privacy approach, and then that yeah, was New an York, early HIPAA state, and you know, yeah, exactly. and all of that, yeah. And then New York City's been doing a lot, but obviously that's city specific, so very geographic in scope instead of a broad state law. So New York City has its own biometric privacy law and workplace monitoring law and things like that. And so they've been on the forefront a little bit more than the state in general.
0: Sometimes that does push the whole state. So there were pay transparency laws that New York City put into place. And then a couple of years later, just now, that the Governor Governor Hochul signed and now there's paid transparency laws statewide in New York. So I suppose there's a potential unless they're waiting for this federal law. Well,
1: that's the thing. After this federal legislation was announced, we did see a slow a bit of states passing these. And it's possible that they are waiting to see what happens with this federal legislation before they invest in basically what needs to be done in order to pass a big law like this.
0: Yeah, this is something because borders don't exist here, right? In data right. privacy, it would be nice to have something broader that sort of touched more areas. It might possibly be easier for the consumer.
1: Yeah, it'd definitely be easier for the consumer. It'd be easier for businesses in terms of compliance applications, for sure. And then There will still obviously be piecemeal aspects, such as industry specific laws that are important and aren't going anywhere. And then also under the federal legislation, there is no preemption for state data breach laws. So every single state has their own data breach law, which is a little bit more on the cybersecurity side of things. And that will continue to be a bit of a piecemeal fashion as well.
0: Sounds like it'll keep you very busy.
1: Yeah, I think so. That's the hope.
0: (laughs) Well, with so much going on, I mean, I think Data Privacy Day is a good idea to remind people of their rights and to talk about these issues. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about what the uh, practice group here at Bond has planned and the topics and areas you think you'll be highlighting?
1: Yeah, so we're trying to do a bunch of different things. So we're going to be releasing a number of information memos about various topics that might be important, including what we were just talking about in terms of what is possibly on the horizon and some stuff about intellectual property and privacy, about possibly education law 2D and some other specific privacy laws. We're going to do some other sort of updates, another podcast episode, possibly be on the Business Tuesday webinar series. That's great. And I think that second
0: podcast episode is going to be a bit of a special episode, focusing maybe on um, a little bit on a specific settlement and some other issues that uh, we haven't discussed yet on the podcast.
1: Yeah. So, a new member of our practice group, Mario, is going to be talking about the Epic Games settlement and talking about FTC regulation, dark patterns in e commerce, and also children's privacy. So, it should be a really interesting topic.
0: Yeah. And I'm always Think about that issue of children's privacy because there are some folks who, you know, post a picture a day of their kids and then who's who's got the right to that? Right. Information. Find it all pretty fascinating, but that's because I'm a geek. So that's probably where that comes from. I mean, I agree,
1: uh, but I guess I'm also a geek. So.
0: <laughs> We're just like the law. It's interesting. All right. Well, before we go, I have to just ask you this because really, this has been your practice since you, you started as a lawyer. So, what drew you to data privacy as a new lawyer?
1: So, I've always been interested in kind of like technology, commerce, and even just privacy in general. And I didn't really know there was an area of the law around this outside of, I guess, search and seizure law, as I mentioned earlier. Right. But then I had the opportunity you could to shout um, out
0: Professor Goulden.
1: It's OK. Yeah, I'm Professor Goulden. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I had the opportunity to summer at Bond between my second and third year of law school. And I had the um, ability to work in our new privacy group or the we had the privacy group for a little while, but it was really starting to ramp up. And I got to do stuff with GDPR and some other really interesting laws. And I really liked it. And I liked the people in the group. And then when I came back, I had the opportunity to do this full time. And that's why I'm here. And I'm really happy I am. And I think it's a very interesting area of the law. And it's obviously, as we've talked about, changing a lot and developing. Yeah, it is.
0: It's fantastic. And I, you know, I think it doesn't hurt to highlight that our practice group here at Bond is run by two women both the practice group leader and the deputy. So that's pretty cool. And um, you are a major part of that as well. I mean, I'm a big fan of your whole group, you know, all of, all the folks in that group. You do really interesting I have to work. agree. I think we have a pretty good group going. Yeah, I think you definitely do. You definitely do. Well, thanks Shannon for joining us again. We appreciate the little bit of a history lesson and trying to help us keep this all straight as there are laws, you know, in other countries that we have to pay attention to There's state laws city laws um, in certain locations, but not yet a U.S. federal law. So um, we may have to have you back to talk about all of that. So thanks for the update. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. All right. And of course, happy World's Data Privacy Day on January 28th. You too. Thanks. Thanks again. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Legally Bond. If you're listening and have any questions for me, want to hear from someone at the firm, or have a suggestion for a future topic, please email us at legallybond at bsk.com. Also, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Legally Bond wherever podcasts are downloaded. Until our next talk, be well.
1: Bond, Shennick, and King has prepared this communication to present only general information. This is not intended as legal advice, nor should you consider it as such. You should not act or decline to act based upon the contents. While we try to make sure that the information is complete and accurate, laws can change quickly. You should always formally engage a lawyer of your choosing before taking actions which have legal consequences. For information about our communication, firm, practice areas, and attorneys, visit our website, bsk.com. This is attorney advertising.